Thank you, Benjamin. I met Benjamin last year here at Yosemite, and Benjamin was part of the now infamous NoCal volleyball team, which went down in a blaze of glory. But we uh, we gave it a we, we fought the good fight. We fought the good fight. Now I did not know that Benjamin was going to give his testimony tonight until a little bit uh, earlier. I certainly didn't know what he was going to say. But I want to tell you this, after having heard his testimony and after he touched on about every point that I intended on touching on tonight, and he had no idea what I was going to speak on, I take that as a witness from the Lord. And I want to say now before I even open the book, that if you're here tonight and you're not saved, and you don't know Christ as your Savior, and you've never trusted the Lord Jesus, the Lord has already spoken to you, and you're not here by accident. It's by His design. Now, you may have come for a variety of reasons, whatever they are, you know, but the Lord has brought you here tonight, not because of me and not because of Benjamin. We simply seek to be instruments in His hand to be used to communicate His message, the reality of it in a life, and the truth of what it says in His Word. If you're here tonight, and you're a Christian, and you know this is the great thing about preaching, I don't have to tell you what it is in your life that isn't right. You already know it. You already know and if you're here tonight as a Christian, and you know that your life is not what it should be, there's something or some things in your life that are not right, the Lord has brought you here tonight. And one of the powerful things that Benjamin mentioned, and which I will touch on in just a moment, is that right now there is time, but there won't always be. There will come a too late, and we'll see that tonight from God's Word. So I am firmly convinced, as convinced as I've ever been in my life as I stand here before you tonight, that there's some folks here that the Lord is speaking to already. And so I encourage you, whatever it is in your life, if it's for salvation or if your life, you're not following what God's Word says tonight, Life can be different. It can be different. Now, if you have your Bible and you'd like to follow along, you know that we're in the book of Proverbs. And I haven't gotten out of chapter 1 yet. And we're not going to probably get out of chapter 1 tonight. We're going to spend a little bit of time in chapter 1. Proverbs in chapter 1. A sister told me tonight something interesting. It stuck with me. A sister in the Lord, that is. And uh, I think it's so important. I hope you've gotten this from the book of Proverbs. But if you haven't, here it is again. It's not just about living life skillfully in, in the sense of living a life better. It's about living a life spiritually. It's about having a right relationship with the Lord that enables you then to live the life that God intends for you to live. 
And we saw, or we have seen, if you've been with us, and maybe you haven't, that the entrance point to getting in on that wisdom that enables us to live life skillfully, that wisdom that sees things as God sees them, is the fear of the Lord. Begins with a relationship with the Lord. And I stressed a bit this morning that to not respect God's authority, which is what the fear of the Lord is, to not hear or obey Him or submit ourselves to Him, is to elevate ourselves to a status that is either saying we're on the same level as Him or that we are above Him. That is disobedience. And even as Joe mentioned, that is a, a very serious thing. A very serious thing. So submitting ourselves under the authority of God. Why is it so serious? It is because it is the essence of that thing that blocks people from the blessing of God and from the salvation of God. It is the, it is the core of what caused sin to enter the universe, and it's pride. Pride. Pride that says, I don't need God, I don't need His Word, I don't need Him telling me what to do, I don't need to submit myself to Him. Like Benjamin said, me, myself, and I. I'll do things my way. One of the interesting things we'll see tonight is that the book of Proverbs says you can do that. You can do things your way. There is a way which seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. So in Proverbs chapter 1, I break in the reading at verse 10. My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. If they say, Come with us, let us lay wait for blood. Let us lurk privately for the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them up alive as the grave, and whole as those that go down into the pit. We shall find all precious substance. We shall fill our houses with spoil. Cast in thy lot among us. Let us all have one purse. My son... Walk not thou in the way with them. Refrain thy foot from their path. For their feet run to evil and make haste to shed blood. Surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bird. And they lay wait, they lay wait for their own blood. They lurk privately for their own lives. So are the ways of everyone that is greedy of gain, which taketh away the life of the owners thereof. One of the things we note when we read the book of Proverbs is that the book of Proverbs is a pretty cut and dry book. In other words, it's not ambiguous. It is not gray. It's black. It's white. It's this. It's that. It doesn't really leave any middle ground. We'll see that again tonight. You hear the appeal, My son, hear, obey the instruction of thy father. Don't forsake the law of thy mother. And if sinners entice thee. And so you have a way that is set before us here. Let's call it the way of sinners or the way of sin. If they entice thee, if they say to thee, Come with us. Join in with us. Be one with us. So you have the way of sin and the way of sinners. 
Now notice something else. In verse 20, Wisdom crieth without. She uttereth her voice in the streets. She crieth in the chief place of concourse, in the openings of the gates. In the city she uttereth her words, saying, How long, ye simple ones, will ye love simplicity? And the scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my Spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. And maybe you remember that I mentioned that one of the literary devices that the writer to the Proverbs uses is that which we refer to as personification. That is to take a principle or a concept and sort of put it in human flesh so that now wisdom is not some vague abstract concept. Wisdom becomes a person. Wisdom becomes a woman. And by the way, if you want an interesting study in the book of Proverbs, study the women of Proverbs. There's a whole lot of good ones. A whole lot of good ones. I didn't have time the other morning to mention those, but there's plenty of good ones in there. And wonderful examples of, of women. But there's quite a contrast, isn't there, between the women that are mentioned in the book of Proverbs. And here, wisdom is seen as a woman. And listen to what she's doing. She's crying without. She's shouting out. She's saying, as she utters her voice, um, How long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? Uh, Turn this way. Turn at my reproof. Listen to me. And so what you have here in the first chapter of the book of Proverbs is two ways. You have the way of sinners, the way of sin, And then you have the way of wisdom. And notice the beauty of how they are arranged. It begins with sinners who are enticing you. And so here they are and they're saying, Hey, come with us. Come this way. Follow us. If you do, this is what's going to take place. This is what we're going to do. And then all of a sudden, you've got wisdom who stands and cries. And wisdom says, No, no, don't go that way. Come this way. You follow me. And this is what will happen. And really throughout the next eight chapters of this book, it's going to be about what wisdom in that sense can do for you if you follow that path. And so you see right here at the very outset these two ways. The way of sinners and the way of wisdom and the appeal that is given to the individual, to you and to me who hear, to make a decision about which way we will go, which path we will follow. You see, every path you follow will take you somewhere. But you better know where it's going to take you. And you better know what the end result is going to be. Because it could be disastrous. Or it could be a path of blessing. And how beautiful it is at the very outset that the Lord says as all of these temptations and enticements are there and and sin is seeking to draw you in and get you into its clutches, that wisdom stands up and cries, No, no, come this way. And the decision is yours as to which way you will go. 
You look briefly at what we find in verses 11 uh, down to verse 19, and it says something about the way of sin. The way of sin is attractive. My son, if sinners entice you. Now, if there was no attraction to sin, if there was nothing in it, nobody would go for it. But that's not reality, is it? There is what the Bible calls the pleasures of sin. Now, some of you have heard my testimony before, and I won't go into all the the details of it tonight or even much of it, except to say this, that as a young man, when I gave myself over a lifestyle, not unlike what Benjamin's was, but unfortunately, most likely much worse, Not that that's here or there. I'm not here to trade war stories. Except to say, people used to ask me later, and sometimes they still do, why did you do drugs? Why did you live the way you lived? Why did you get yourself involved with illegal drugs to that point that it caused you to be involved in criminal activity and all the rest of it? Why why did you do the drugs? My answer was simple. Wasn't some deep psychotic reason, some neurosis deep within my psyche that I had. You know why I did drugs? I liked them. It was simple. I liked them. It sounds crazy, I know. I liked the way they make me feel. I liked what they did to me at first. And somewhere you move, unfortunately, if you're in it long enough, from the point to where... You're doing something because you like it to you're doing something because you can't get out of it. It's a trap. You know, we use a term. There is a term that's used in courts. T-Rod, you'd know this one. It's called entrapment, isn't it? And boy, that's an argument lawyers will throw at you. Entrapment. Listen, there's got to be something there to entrap, doesn't there? There's some things that won't tempt people, but there's something there that will attract people. And it is a fine line between entrapment, as we're told. But listen, in order to entrap, you've got to use the right bait. If I go fishing with these guys this week, I'm not going to get one of those giant marshmallows like we had at the youth meeting. <laughs> They're the biggest marshmallows. I mean, those are Yosemite marshmallows, okay? They're they're like El Capitan of marshmallows. They're gigantic. I'm not going to put one of those on those little hooks with the sewing thread, you know, that we fish for with the trout and throw it out there and try to catch something. I mean, I can do that. You've got to have bait that the fish are attracted to. Listen, we've got an enemy of our souls. He knows just what it is that will entice you. Because what entices me is not necessarily what entices you. And what entices some of you is different totally. It would have no pull or no draw on me whatsoever. But he's got a wide array of things that are out there to draw you in. But it's interesting, isn't it, that the way of sin, it is enticing. It sounds like it can be very successful. Come, they say in verse 11, let us wait for blood. Let us lurk privately for the innocent without cause. It's kind of sneaky. We'll do this on the down low, you see. They won't know what's happening. Nobody will know. 
I'll go to a different school where people don't know me. I'll live in a different town where people, my parents won't see me. The people at church, they won't know. But he reminded us about Joseph tonight. There is somebody who knows. Somebody who always sees. You know, we were just uh, on our road trip here, and we passed through this little town in Nevada called Las Vegas. I said we passed through. But anyway, um, I found it fascinating. Do you know, I don't know how many Bible billboard signs I saw in Las Vegas. I mean, there were a lot of them, but the one that caught my attention was, um, what happens in Vegas, God knows. <laughs> what happens in Vegas, God knows. <laughs> it doesn't just stay in Vegas. God knows. And they had a scripture verse there. There is somebody who sees and knows. But sinners entice you to say, listen, uh, we can do this. We can get away with this. The way of sin is made to seem profitable. Verse 13, we'll fill our purses with all kinds of substance. We'll get all kind of, uh, this is going to be good. We're going to really, you know, make out in this thing. This will be great. The way of sin is very deceptive. And destruction is in the end of it. Surely in vain, he says in verse 17, the net is spread in the sight of any bird. What a fool you'd be to step in a net that's spread for you like that. And they lay wait for their own blood. They lurk proudly for their own lives. In other words, there's a risk to it that elevates the level of excitement. It can be risky to do things that you've never done before and risky to do things that can cause you to live on the edge, and risky to do things that maybe even in your heart you know you shouldn't be doing. The way of sin. And so, it's outlined for us there. It's true in the world today, isn't it? Sin is glamorized. Sin is popularized. Sin is televised. It's all over YouTube, the Internet, and everywhere else. It's all out there. Sin. The devil puts poison in very neat packages. It looks good. It can feel good. It sounds good. But where does it end up? Where does it end up? And like Benjamin said, you know, there can come the too late. I often think about that, and I sometimes forget about that when I give my testimony. Because my testimony, God was merciful and spared my life, and I got saved, and my life changed. But sometime I could tell you the story about my five or six closest friends who didn't make it, who none of them are alive today. And all of them died tragic deaths. Most of them drug-related. They didn't all make it. The way of sin. Though it seems like it can be good, it might even feel good for a while, but the end thereof. The ways of death. And yet God cries out. Above the voice of sin, above the voice of the world and all of its attractions, there's another voice. 
See it here in verse 20. Wisdom cries without. She's outside. She's not hidden back in a corner somewhere. She's right out in the public place. It calls it here in the book of Proverbs, the chief place of concourse, the openings of the gates, and the place where life's decisions are made. Wisdom cries out. In the concourse, as it says, at the crossroads of life, at the very head of the streets, before you take the path that's wrong, wisdom stands there and says, Hey! You say, I've never heard her calling. She's calling tonight. Better, wisdom as personified and personalized and incarnate in the person of Jesus Christ. Tonight through His Word tells you, Turn at my reproof. This is the way. Walk ye in it. The way of wisdom. At the very mainstream, at the very place where those decisions are being made, there are two voices. You see, this takes us back to the garden, doesn't it? There were two voices. There's a lot of voices in the world clamoring for your attention, trying to attract you. Which voice will you listen to? Which one are you listening to? On the one hand, in the garden, there was the voice of God that said, you can have freely of everything that's here. Just don't eat of that one tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then along came the voice of the deceiver, of the enemy of men's souls, of Satan, subtle, the serpent, and said, Yea, hath God said? Did God really mean that? Did He really say that? Two voices. And because the woman and then the man listened to the wrong voice, sin entered into this world. And sin entered into this world and every one of us has been affected by it and infected by it. And yet the way is held out before us, even here. How long? And how long for you? How long for you tonight? How long will God wait? I don't know. How long has He been waiting? I don't know. I do believe there does come a cutoff time. I can't say when that is. No man can say what that is. But there comes a time. How do I know that? Because that's what God's Word says. I want you to notice what the next part of this passage says. Verse 24. Because I have called and you have refused... I have stretched out my hand, and no man regarded. But you have set it not all my counsel, and would none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as desolation, and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish cometh upon you, then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me, for that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. 
They would none of my counsel. They despised all of my reproof. Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. For the turning away of the simple shall slay them, and the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. But whoso hearkeneth unto me shall dwell safely, and I shall be quiet from fear of evil. How long? Because I have called, and I have stretched out my hand, and no man regarded, I will laugh at your calamity. You know, several times in the Bible it's said that God laughs. And I don't mean this in a trite way. It is never funny. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. He shall have them in derision. It is when God breaks forth in His judgment. And here's a principle that we find here. Again, this thing of personification is a very powerful device because it personalizes it. Imagine now that God is calling and you refuse. He says, I've stretched out my hand and you didn't regard. God takes rejection personally. Personally. And in the bringing forth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's not an issue about you and me. It's not an issue about you and Benjamin or anybody else here. This is about you and God. This is not just about you refusing what some man at Yosemite had to say. God takes rejection personally. He called. You wouldn't answer. He counseled. You wouldn't listen. He says, there will come a time when I will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. Your fear cometh as desolation. Your destruction cometh as a whirlwind. And distress and anguish will come upon you. And then listen to what he says. Then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. Then shall they call upon me and seek me early. They will not answer find me because they despised my reproof and they would not have my counsel now that's powerful that's serious that God says ultimately there will come a time when I have called you know the young folks the other night we got together and they asked a few questions and They were good questions. We saw it as best as we could to answer them from the Word of God. And one of the questions had to do about God's judgment. And one of the principles that you find true in God's Word is that God's judgment never falls on anybody without them having first had knowledge. He never arbitrarily just picks people who don't know, have never heard, and pours His wrath out upon them. The fact of His wrath and the fact of His judgment implies prior knowledge. For God only judges, as we find in the book of Romans, those that are not not sinners, just sinners, but those that are guilty. Guilty. There's a big difference in just being a sinner and being guilty. Now, He'll move to show us in the Gospel, according to Romans chapter 3 and verse 19, that all the world is guilty before God, that there is no defense. You have no defense to offer. But it is guilt 
which is different than just sin. Here's the fact of Scripture. Every one of us born into this world is a sinner. We are affected by what happened to Adam, and it has been passed on to every person who comes into this world. The evidence? You know what the death rate is? 100%. 100%? Unless the Lord comes and we go by way of the rapture, unless the Lord comes and, and we go not by dying, the death rate? 100%. But remember this. It's always important to remember when your Bible study that chapter 1 comes before chapter 2. And chapter 2 comes before chapter 3. Chapter 3 comes before chapter 5. Now some of you Bible students out there will know if you've ever read the book of Romans, where is it that Adam is introduced? Chapter 5. But before you ever get to Adam, all the world guilty. Big difference in God's court the guilt of sin. And so God calls, and God calls, but His judgment will fall upon those who refuse to listen. The way is open to you to come to Christ, to be saved. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. And one thing that the book of Proverbs will tell us a little later on in, the book, in this very book is that Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. You are not guaranteed tomorrow. You're not guaranteed the rest of tonight. The only guarantee you have is the very breath you're taking in right now, and God holds that in His hand. And He can cut it off at whatsoever time He sees fit. And if you're here tonight, you'll never be able to face God and say, I didn't know. Why didn't somebody tell me? Why didn't somebody warn me? Why didn't somebody show me? Because God, all He'd have to do besides the rest of your life is point to this very night. The night when you sat and listened about the two ways. The way of sin and where it will take you. And the way of wisdom is found in Christ and His salvation and what Jesus Christ has done on the cross of Calvary. You see, really, when we sum up what it is that God has to say to us, in a sense, we can say that He said what He wants to say to us at the cross of Calvary, hasn't He? There we read the heart of God. There we read the love of God. There we read the condition of mankind. If that's what it took to save us, how, how much of a sinner must I have been? And God loved me, even me, that Christ would die and give Himself for me. A sinner like me. And now I want to say, forget it, I'm not interested? That'll only last for so long. And there'll come a time when God will say, you'll call on me, but I will not answer. I will not hear you anymore. Turn with me, if you would, to the 10th chapter of the book of Romans. Romans in chapter 10. Romans in chapter 10. It is an amazing chapter. 
for a number of reasons. Paul, who himself was a Hebrew, Jewish, he had a problem. He had a big problem. It weighed heavy on his heart. As he went about preaching the gospel in those areas of the world in that day, he followed in the early years particularly what he says in the book of Romans to the Jew first. And he'd go to the synagogues, wherever he could find the Jewish people gathering, to tell them from their own scriptures, Christ must needs have suffered and been raised from the dead. They were okay with that. Christ, Messiah, yes, must needs have suffered and, and be raised from the dead. Yes, from their own Scriptures. But here came the, the clincher. And this Jesus of Nazareth, which, which we preach to you, He is the Christ. And at that, His kinsmen after the flesh, rather than embrace the Messiah who had come and presented Himself to Israel, they rejected the message. They rejected the messenger. They persecuted the messenger. They sought to hinder the message. At the same time, Gentiles, non-Jews, were being saved by the thousands in places. And it burdened the heart of Paul. Like it ought to burden us about our own families and our own family members and those that we're close to. And he cried out to God and Romans 9-10 through 10 analyzes it. It's a fabulous section of Scripture, but particularly in chapter 10 because he's going to tell us why it is that Israel as a nation, as a whole, was not saved. And in analyzing why it was that Israel wasn't saved, he gives us insight into why it is that anybody isn't saved. Why don't they get saved? And he's going to end the chapter with a couple of questions that in the way we read them in the English are, are put like this. Verse 18. Have they not heard? May I rephrase that question for you this way, and it won't do injustice. It may amplify the text a bit to say it this way. It's not because they haven't heard. They did hear. Oh, they heard. Christ Himself stood among them. They heard the very Son of God Himself speak to them. It's not because they haven't heard. Well, maybe in verse 19, it's because they didn't know. Oh, they knew. They could have known it from their own Scriptures. Listen to what he says in verse 21. But to Israel he saith, All day long I have stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and a gainsaying people. Listen to the language. This is the Almighty who says to Israel as a nation, I have stretched forth my hands. Listen, I have five wonderful grandchildren and one on the way. And I could spend a few hours telling you about them. But you know, I love it when those little grandchildren, like my children used to do, I stretch out my hands, and those little ones, they come running. Now, when I stretch out my hands for that little grandchild, do you think I mean it? Do you think I mean that when that child comes, I'm going to pick him up and hold him? 
Think of it now in the language of the Almighty. Who says to Israel, all day long I've stretched out my hands in that gesture to say, come, you can come. God meant it. It was sincere. And they refused. Stiffened their necks and turned their backs. And blindness in part set in in the nation of Israel. And it's an analysis given by the Spirit of God as to why that nation as a whole was not saved. They missed God's righteousness by seeking to establish their own righteousness. And yet, I want us to think about that last verse. All day long I have stretched forth my hands to a gainsaying and disobedient people. How long? How long has God stretched out His hands to you? And how long will He? I don't have the answer for that. But I want to tell you there will come a time when there will be a cutoff. I don't know when it is. Only God knows. But you don't have to go that far to find out. Wisdom cries. The Son of God cries. Turn you at my reproof. And tonight can be that night. Tonight can be the night when you come. Right where you're sitting. You don't have to do a thing. It's all been done by what Christ has done on the cross of Calvary. When you come to that realization, as many of us in this group have, that I'm the sinner that Jesus died for, that what He did there on the cross, it took that in order to forgive my sins. And Lord, I don't want to refuse it anymore. I want to come to You now and, and confess that I, I know I'm that sinner. And it took the death of Christ. But I want to receive Your Son. I want to believe on the Lord Jesus. I want to be saved. You can do that right where you're sitting. Right now, you can do that. And again, if you're here and you're a believer in Christ, and you know there's things in your life that are not right, you know, your life can change. The way of sin seems so appealing, seems so enticing and so attractive. But oh, I tell you what wisdom has to offer, what Christ has to offer. Benjamin reminded us of something else. The thief has come to steal and to kill. And in the end, that's what sin will do. It will rob you of life and youth and wealth. It will rob you of happiness and health. It will rob you of eternity and God's best for you. Sin will. But Christ won't. Sin takes. Christ gives. So tonight, whatever your spiritual need is, I'm getting ready to close in prayer. After I close, I know folks like to visit and all that, and that's all well and good, but maybe you could do your visiting as you walk back to where you're going. Just maybe that would be the best thing to do. And I'm going to be here, and, and uh, Dave and Doug will be here, and Gary and Joe, maybe if you'd stay a few minutes if there's folks here that have spiritual things they want to discuss, we'd like to give opportunity for that. So let's just look to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father.
We thank You for the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh God, we thank You that there's a salvation that's available for us right now where we're sitting. And to that person who's sitting there struggling in their own mind and heart tonight, Lord, we pray they wouldn't wait any longer. Now's the time. They can come to Christ. They can be saved right now where they're sitting. And for any here who are believers in Christ but their life isn't right, there's things there, Lord, You know what they are. They know what they are. Tonight, Lord, will they turn? Will they make that crucial decision to no longer follow in that way and do their own thing, but to follow Christ who never takes but gives? Lord, help tonight, we pray. We know You've spoken to hearts. We ask tonight, in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving You thanks in His name. Amen.